You're listening to How to Tell Where You Are, an audiobook read by Philip Balashev, reading stories also written by Philip Balashev. Uh, as always, remember, remember to like, share, and subscribe, and also if you'd like to read the blog posts, posts that I read from, you can ch- check out the link in the description, which uh, is a link to that blog. Then, the clouds were so dark and heavy that it was a wonder they didn't fall and crush them. Neither he nor Robin were at an age where that really seemed possible, but the storm made their other fears seem a little closer to reality. He began to think, but wildly and without regard for what was plausible. What if they had to stay there till nightfall? The moon, if it was out and their safety depended on it, would be their only way home. Already, you see, he accepted as fact what hadn't yet happened. The stars may be pretty, uh, but not yet, but not useful to anyone but sailors. He didn't know any constellations and wasn't interested in the directions of the earth, except on a very small scale. They wanted to go from here, a big tree in the forest that served as their shelter, to there, their neighborhood. Robin thought the tree was oak. He thought most trees were oak, and liked how the word sounded. Will didn't care to guess. When Will tried to think of directions, his house appeared before him as it had been when he'd left it. The windows unlit because the sun was still shining, the yard not yet muddy with rainwater. But how, he asked himself, too embarrassed to ask Robin, would they get there? Especially with this rain. The rain and their being lost had nothing in common, but even unrelated troubles make each other seem worse, and his resulting panic actually made them worse. Will had been sent out by his parents to return a hammer to Mrs. Jacobs. He was at an age where being asked to do this was neither too demanding nor insulting. Mrs. Jacobs' husband was a carpenter. He had exactly what Will's father needed for some home repairs, But that need wasn't so pressing or so frequent that it was worth buying the tools himself. Robin met him halfway there and convinced him Mrs. Jacobs could wait a little longer. The funny thing was that the Jacobs house lay perfectly between Will's and Robin's. He recounted this to himself, even the joke, hoping that it might help remind him how they had gotten here. Will sat and held the hammer, the head in his palm, his other hand on the handle. What are you going to, what are you gonna do? Robin asked. He knew Will didn't have an answer, not a good one anyway, but the point was to make him feel stupid for getting them into this mess. Break your head open, Will said flatly. Then he looked to the ground with drooping sad eyes, presenting the back of his own head to Robin. Robin was the weaker of the two, and also the least agitated. Now he knew where they stood. He said nothing in the hopes that his silence would show he meant no harm. It wasn't his fault they were here. Will put the hammer down beside him. Robin's back was still turned, but he heard the crunch of pine needles and figured what had happened. He looked to Will, who stared off into the distance, maybe at the trees, maybe at nothing. 
Robin threw some pine needles at him to get his attention and to annoy him. Will glared back, not bothering to raise the hammer. There was no need to elaborate. Robin looked away at the best retreat he could make in that situation and inspected the trees, just those right in front of him, since the storm made them nearsighted. He knew nothing about trees except for what he saw, their shape, size, and color. Where and how they grew was a mystery he answered with here and now. There were white birches, the younger of which were bent under the weight of the rain and the wind, the older of which the weather had already bent, lower and more permanently too. After the storm, the young birches would stand straight again. The older birches were worn out. The, boy could, the boys could sit here silently for as long as they were warm. Their tree's branches were long and wide and numerous enough to shield them from the rain. They wouldn't freeze or get wet, but neither would they be comfortable. Robin tried to nap. He made Will promise to wake him, but when he didn't, but when he didn't say. The ground, ground and the bark he took as his bed and his pillow made that hard. Will walked around the tree to keep his blood moving, staying under its branches and within the circle of wet ground that showed where their reach ended. When this made him dizzy, he stretched instead. Then he lobbed the hammer up and caught it as it came down. He only had to hit his hand once to know it was a stupid game. Robin woke up at the sound and laughed when Will told him what he'd done. They had gone into the forest because it was a place they had not yet explored. From the moment he, he decided to follow Robin rather than tell him to wait a while or else come along to Mrs. Jacob's house, Will treated the hammer as a toy, not a tool. He even let Robin have a turn with it now. Robin knocked it against the tree and admired the noise this made. The sky cleared a little and then a little more. The last raindrops fell. None came to replace them. Robin got up. If he was blamed for getting them into this, he would have to get them out. Will couldn't. Seeing Robin stand, Will did the same. They didn't know where they had come from, but from where they were standing, they looked into a deeper, darker part of the forest. Behind them was light. Even if it didn't get them home, going that way would mean they'd be less lost. Robin took a branch along as a walking stick. The further they got from the forest, the lighter the color of their paths became. Robin's stick accompanied the sound of his footsteps. The bump of the stick as they hit the ground grew louder as they traveled over harder roads. The more people use a road, the more their feet beat down any plants that might grow. And in their case, there was a clear distinction between where they walked and the dry brown fields they walked beside. While Robin looked ahead, Will kept an eye on the clouds behind them, as if a storm could form just as suddenly as it had before and follow them with human intent. Robin took their escaping the forest as a good sign, one he shared with Will, who was less pleased. We're not lost back there, Robin said, as if Will just didn't understand what he had to be happy about. We're lost up here instead, Will replied. They saw a street, and then a car came by. Their feet hurt no more than they had a minute ago. 
but now there was a chance they wouldn't have to walk. They debated the safety of hitchhiking as the car drove away. Another would show up eventually. They kept walking and held their thumbs out, though they weren't clear on what to do if someone stopped. Even if we find somebody who'll help us, and who would, where would we ask them to go, Robin said. Our street. Our neighborhood would be good, to, would be good too. Right, but it's not a taxi. They're not going to go out of their way, Robin continued. I know, I get it, Will said as he slouched and looked to his right. The landscape hadn't changed. Well, we've been going the same way for a while. Their discussion was interrupted by another car. It slowed, as if debating how trustworthy they were, then made its decision and sped up. Wet streets be damned. Will looked for a stone to throw, finding none. A hammer was no good at this distance. The car escaped unharmed. Robin threw his stick to the field. He was bored of it anyway. When it became clear that their chances of being picked up were next to, or even exactly nothing, they made a game of guessing what model the next car would be. Robin began, a Ford. Nobody buys those anymore, Will said. What are we betting for? A Chevy. For fun, Robin said. He won the bet. A Chevy, Will said again. You sure about that? Robin asked. Well, you'll be right sometime, I guess. A Mercedes. Neither won that bet, nor the next. They lost interest in their game. The afternoon sun was high, and so were the trees Will saw up ahead, where the road turned steep. Their shadows stretched out in front of them. Almost everything else around them was too small to stand against the sun. The heat annoyed him. The hammer felt much heavier than it was, a weight that was slowly pulling his arm from its socket. Robin led the way, thinking he had the better sense of direction between the two of them. They took off their jackets as the sun warmed them more than the, su than the storm had cooled them. Robin thought about taking his shirt off, too, but what would Will think? The weather was mild, anyway. Occasionally, Robin would glance over his shoulder to see if Will was still there. Each time Will saw his face, it annoyed him more and more. Robin did this four times, and when he turned back to the road, Will had the sudden urge to run up from behind and put the hammer to his head. He saw how his skull would crack, as if a boy who looked just like Robin had sacrificed his life, and yet another boy, like himself, had forfeited a prison sentence all to demonstrate what might happen if he gave in to these thoughts. It shocked him to think this way, but his anger wasn't gone yet. If not for Robin, he wouldn't be lost in this heat. If not for him, he wouldn't be here with him, wherever that was. He whined about Robin in a hushed voice, not because he cared whether anybody heard, but because he was too tired to make sure of it. Robin did the same, but blamed the sun for being hot, and the forest, or at other times, the storm, for getting them lost. As they went downhill, Will's feet hit the road with more force than usual, like he was deliberately stomping on his blisters. He blamed this on Robin, too. Will's eyes flicked, flicked about quickly, violently, or else they stared ahead, too tired to show feelings other than sullen anger. The road leveled out, then it curved. They stopped where the arc was sharpest. 
From there, they could see so much more than the views to which they had grown accustomed. The sky, the road, each other, and the occasional car. They had, it turned out, taken the long way back. They could see where they had entered the forest and where they had left it, and there, there, were their na there was their neighborhood. Not all of it, but enough to know what it was. A short walk, and there were their homes. It seemed awful to have to go their separate ways now, after all that. Despite everything, Robin, despite everything, Robin turned away only for Will to grab his shoulder and set him back again. We still need to return the hammer, Will said. He was quick to anger and slow to make up, but whenever he did either, he meant it. They knocked. Mrs. Jacobs opened her door to find them a little out of breath and dusty, but otherwise fine. She invited them in. They accepted the offer with weak smiles. Mrs. Jacobs, no noticing the state of their clothes and faces, asked where they'd been. Not that we needed the hammer that badly, she added, as she put it on the kitchen counter. She gave them chocolates from a box. They were careful to take only two each. A high whine made Will look around. It was quiet, which made him think he was imagining it. My husband's working, Mrs. Jacobs explained, though at her age she could barely hear the noise herself. What does he make, Will wanted to know. Chairs, tables, that sort of thing. How many does he make in a month? Not much, but I make up the difference. Oh, and then she realized her mistake. I don't really know. I can't give you a number, but he does a good amount, works hard. What wood does he use? That was up to the customer. Lots of people liked birch. She did. Did he? He couldn't really say. Will told her this with a shrug. She showed him examples of her husband's work, pointing to a dinner table and its chairs. That's oak, she said, believing she had anticipated his question. Will admitted his family had never bought anything from him, or if they had, he didn't know it. Robin asked how much a chair cost, more interested in drawing attention to himself than an answer. He wasn't looking for anything, nor could he afford it. About, well, it depends on what you want, really, but it's not that much. Unprompted, she said, he's in the carpenter's union. Will wondered whether the union was for the county or the whole country. He didn't care to ask. Well, he's hoping everything goes well, Robin said. Mrs. Jacobs and Will solemnly agreed it was better for things to be good than bad. Just then, Mr. Jacobs came in. He picked the hammer up off the counter, then put it back down. Will shook his hand, but didn't stay to make conversation. He wanted to go home. So did Robin, who followed Will's example when he said goodbye and thanked the Jacobs for the hammer. This time, the boys really did part. The more time passed, the more the storm and their hike dominated Will's memory of that day. He hardly remembered what he had said to the Jacobs. His parents planned to help the Jacobs in some way. Though they did favors for others, they didn't like to be on the receiving end for very long without paying it back. Usually, it was only a matter of time before an opportunity arose. The problem with the Jacobs, although only Will's parents saw it as one, was that they were largely self-sufficient, except in what they ate and wore and where they lived and the electricity they used. 
They didn't need anything and had enough to help those who did. The only gift Will's family could make them was something they might want. Will's best guess was a cake, which his father criticized as being too much like a housewarming present. His mother agreed that that would be nice. She said he was a thoughtful boy and that he got it from her. Will said it was just the one thought, not a whole headful. She said he was being stupid. Now he agreed with her. It should be a chocolate cake, which Will believed almost everyone liked, and homemade. He went about selecting the ingredients at the supermarket with ridiculous care. Was this or that flour better? It was the same. A ten-cent difference, his mother said, laughing and smiling at how earnest he was. This, Will thought, was adulthood. A part of it, at least. Doing your best to help others and showing unmistakable gratitude when they did likewise, so they would continue to do so. Will and his parents brought the cake over to, to the Jacob's house the next weekend everyone was available. This was how they would repay, in, in a lump sum, the many small kindnesses with the Jacobs had done them. They set the cake out on the table in their backyard. Will's father cut it down the middle twice and gave his son a quarter piece. The rest of them pleaded him down to just half of that, and not everyone finished what they started. Most didn't, in fact, but let it lie on their plates as they took occasional bites. In the end, they wrapped it in plastic and put it in the fridge for later. Mrs. Jacobs found it necessary to tell Will why she did this, not because she was fat, but because she wanted to stop herself from becoming fat. That had already happened, but he didn't address this. Her husband had no need for excuses. As the only child in, in his family and in the Jacobs' house, too, Will got what the rest didn't eat, meaning just the pieces they hadn't yet started on. He didn't like to eat second-hand, as he put it. It would be wrong, his parents had said before they arrived, to leave too many or too few leftovers for their guests. This was yet another one of their worries about problems not worth the trouble of avoiding. He didn't even understand the principle which his parents took too far, that guests should be accommodated in just about every way, and just about every way possible. Still, he did his best to obey, believing there might be more to it than his parents had said. His father told Mr. Jacobs about the various repairs he had made. Mr. Jacobs was glad he had put his hammer to good use. Without anything to say, and not wanting to be impolite, Will kept stuffing himself. With a place like this, where breaking rules came with unknown consequences, it was best to keep out entirely. He couldn't. He was already there. The next best thing was to keep to himself. Mrs. Jacobs helped fill his plate, which for him was proof that his parents were right. Once, she patted his hand as if steadying him for a serious operation. Her husband didn't eat very much, but he still laid his hands across his stomach with his fingers together. Will did the same. Within a week, this afternoon of eating and the following evening of vomiting was all Will remembered of the entire day, besides, of course, the cake and their reasons for baking it. He told Robin about this, who laughed, and that made Will laugh about it, too. And that, 
he wasn't ridiculous. It was the situation itself that they jo joked about. In the event that someone didn't repay them for their kindness, his parents first allowed a grace period during which uh, during which they waited to see whether they were rushing to contempt someone without reason. If their suspicions were proven right, they handled the matter by removing the person in question from their lives and taking back whatever help they had given them to the extent that this was possible. The reason Will's father had compared a cake to a housewarming gift was that they had given that same sort of cake to another neighbor for exactly that occasion. It went about as well as their last visit to the Jacobs did, except that their new neighbor didn't seem to understand that once your house has been warmed, so to speak, you should invite people back regularly rather than once a month in the immediate aftermath and then never again. The only revenge that they could get was calling the neighbors impolite to their faces and other more impolite insults to their backs. Some of his parents' rules described natural feelings, compassion and revenge, for example, and set them in stone. That made sense to him. In larger circles, like his school, this tracking of favors was impossible except between friends, in which case it wasn't necessary. Robin Robin had redeemed himself, uh, himself over the course of their walk by making an effort to get them home. Lending something to a stranger carried the risk of not getting it back. You wouldn't even be able to complain because you wouldn't see them again. Some of his parents' rules were nonsensical, meant to protect him from fears only his parents had, which is why they, ha uh, they had to re continually remind him to follow them. They didn't mind doing this. His parents thought the best of him, that he tried to remember and yet somehow always failed. Really, Will had come to regard some of their worries as unfounded. He kept this to himself. He was free to behave as he normally would whenever they didn't remind him or weren't there, and this freedom meant he didn't feel such a need to rebel. That feeling for total freedom, like the anger he had felt in the forest, at Robin and at their circumstances, would grow if entirely suppressed and also if allowed to fully flourish. By doing these half-measures, his parents got him to obey where and when it counted. None of this was deliberate, however. Remember, his parents thought he tried to obey completely. It worked that way in the forest, too. Will had been too focused on how he felt to talk himself down. His horror at what he imagined himself doing was all that had stopped him. It wouldn't have done any good to lie to himself about how he felt, but to let his anger overtake his senses and make him hurt Robin would have been even worse. Someday he might be honest with his parents about this. He hoped he would be able to explain it calmly. Will discussed this with Robin sometimes, and varied ever so slightly in the words he used and in the way he said them, each time refining just how he would do it. He wanted to show how ridiculous some of their fears were, without also insulting them. They did, after all, and this he demanded Robin understand, meanwhile. No matter how much they might laugh at those worries, he had to know that. They walked the tra trail they had taken on their way back from the forest. 
Not all the way. Not all of it, but if far enough uh, that Robin found his walking stick, or at least one very similar, and then they turned around. They didn't want to get lost there a second time. Robin whacked him with a walking stick, not hard, but it smarted. Will took the stick from him, playing up the annoyance he felt, and broke it up over his knee with some difficulty. He allowed Robin to pout for just a second, then handed half of the stick to him and kept the other so he could hit back. When they had exchanged blows, both understood the game that Robin had proposed and Will, by retaliating, had agreed to play. It was afternoon, about as late as it had been then, though now noticeably cooler. Their shadows grew a little every minute. Their parents insisted they wear jackets again, though those weren't thick enough to protect them from the sticks. The game stopped when both boys were too tired to continue, and they had broken their weapons on one another's body. They threw their sticks to the wayside, each knowing why they did this. As Will grew older, the type and number of rules his parents imposed would change, especially those he didn't understand. How, he didn't yet know. Robin had nothing to say about this. When they had found their neighborhood, they found somewhere else to go. That was How to Tell Where You Are, read by Philip Ballershap, and also written by Philip Ballershap. As always, remember to like, share, and subscribe. And again, if you'd like to read along, just subscribe to the blog that I upload these posts to. You can find a link to that in the description of this video. Thanks, and until next time.